0: I find as well, like, you know, it's not necessarily tie myself to the mask, but even things like if the, what is closest to me in the bed when I wake up is the Kindle and not the phone, I'm more likely to read. But if the phone's on top of the Kindle, <laughs> you know, I'm more likely to look at the phone. But if I can reverse that order, you know, it's a bit better. So just little hacks like that. And I think it's good to kind of look at every aspect of your life and say, okay, where's something that, I can kind of make it easy to do the thing that I, I want to do.
1: Welcome to How I Work, a show about the tactics used by leading innovators to get so much out of their day. I'm your host, Dr. Amatha Imba. I'm an organizational psychologist, the CEO of Inventium, and I'm obsessed with finding ways to optimize my workday. On today's show, I speak to Matt Mullenweg, I feel like Matt is kind of like internet royalty because he's a founding developer of WordPress, which is the open source software used by over 31% of the web. He also founded Automatic, which now employs around 700 people, and Matt's also been named one of Business Week's 25 Most Influential People on the web. Now, I found out a lot of fascinating things about how Matt works during this chat, and Something I particularly loved hearing about were some of the really simple changes he's made to create better habits, like how he only has certain types of apps on the home screen of his phone. So without further ado, over to Matt to find out how he works. Matt, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you're, of course, the co-founder of WordPress, and I read recently that you've just ticked over the 30% mark in, in that over 30% of the world's websites are built on WordPress. Is that correct?
0: That is correct, and we're looking forward to getting the other 70%.
1: Oh, amazing, amazing. Look, I'd love to start with what a typical morning looks like for you, and, and also whether there is such a thing, given that I know you travel so much.
0: Hmm, That's a good question. Um, so, I would say that the thing that is my favorite morning routine is probably reading, actually, which is nice because I can do that really anywhere I am in the world. Um, If I can carve out, you know, some people wake up early to, to work out. I like to wake up a little bit early to get a bit of reading time in because I find that sets my brain up in the right space for everything I need to get done the rest of the day.
1: I love that. I was actually reading on your blog, I was counting that you read, I think about 30 books last year. And, and I was going to ask how you fit in that reading time. Are there are there other times in the day that you also block out for reading or is it, does it tend to, to be more of a, a morning ritual at the moment?
0: Uh, often when I travel is really good for that. So um, I'm actually reading a lot more this year than last year. I'll probably end up with 45 or 50 books this year. Um. And it's, you know, it's travel time, it's downtime. Uh, I've started experimenting a bit with, um, Audible has a sync feature with the Kindle, so I can be reading and then switch to audio, and it's exactly where I left off, and then when I switch back to reading, it's exactly where the audio stopped. So you can kind of go between audiobooks and written books without um, without really losing any words or anything.
1: That's really cool. And And when do you find, like, What's the, what's the scenario where you'd use the the written book in the Kindle versus the audio? Like what what are sort of typical scenarios for both?
0: Uh, written is definitely my, my first choice. So that could be any time I can sit, uh, waiting. I generally always have my Kindle in my backpack. So if I'm on you know, sometimes a train, if it's a longer train ride or subway ride, and the audio book's really great for those in-between times. So walking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, when you're going to and from the gates or boarding or um, if I'm driving, which is not too common if I'm traveling, but if I'm in Houston, Texas, which is my home, I drive a lot. So those are perfect times for, for more audio uh, content.
1: Yeah. And, and when, you're, when you're reading on the Kindle, do you, do you, do you speed read? Do you have techniques to, to finish books faster or are you just like reading like the rest of us?
0: Uh, When I listen, I'm generally listening at one and a half to two X speed. Um, So, but when I'm reading, I feel like I read very normally. Uh, I've tried faster reading in the past and I often lose things. And a lot of my reading these days is, uh, is for pleasure. So it's, you know, novels and other things that are don't really lend themselves well to speed read. In fact, sometimes you want to stretch it out because the words are just so beautiful, you want to savor them.
1: Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think I, I, I read somewhere that, that you've often got several books on the go at the same time. Is, is that still true?
0: Yeah, I find that, you know, sometimes I'll just get kind of stuck in a book. And so why switching to something else, it can provide just a little bit of variety. Um, I'll usually also have, like, a non-fiction and a fiction going at the same time. And, you know, just depending on my mood or what kind of mode I'm in, different books lend themselves. So, like, some books are very, like, short stories. Like, you know that there's going to be, like, a good stopping point. And other novels, like, I don't want to start unless I have a few hours blocked out because I know I'm going to get completely lost in it.
1: And getting back to the mornings, like, how, how long would you typically spend reading, like, doing uninterrupted reading?
0: I'll try to get in at least a chapter, which is, you know, again, it depends so much on the format of the book. But call it fifteen to twenty minutes.
1: Mm, fantastic, love it, love it. And I, I remember hearing that you you were sort of, I guess, experimenting with meditation. I, I believe you're an investor in in Calm. I'm not sure if that's still the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but where, where's your meditation, um, routine or or habit at at the moment?
0: You know, I like to get that in in the mornings, but, you know, sometimes I just can't. <laughs> so otherwise, I'll sneak it in throughout the rest of the day. Um, as long as it's not nighttime or I haven't had a drink beforehand, I find it can be very effective in other parts of the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it starts to get later, I just doze a little. <laughs> I guess it's good. I get into a very relaxed place very quickly.
1: <laughs> yes, do- dozing is very relaxing. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> um, I I wanted to um, ask about like how how you ward off distractions because you obviously work with technology for a living, but it can also be such a source of distraction. And I'm wondering like when when you're trying to get deep focused work done, what what strategies do you use for for tuning out? I guess the rest of the world and particularly digital distractions.
0: Jeez. You know, it's funny because I have friends that are like, "Oh you're so productive, how do you be so productive And I feel like the most unproductive person so <laughs> my my approach is generally like a, like at Ulysses where I tie myself to the mast, you know plug my ears so I can't hear the sirens and um, yeah. yeah, I find that I'm way better at planning ahead than actually resisting temptation, so if I can just close out the apps or it's not that I'm getting lots of notifications and not looking at them is that I'm just you know hiding the notifications for myself um, so that my brain doesn't even have to use the, the willpower to not engage with them.
1: And, and I mean do you have notifications constantly turned off or, or do you kind of switch them on when, when you are in sort of, I guess more of a responsive mode?
0: Um, I have notifications but they generally don't buzz me. So the phone doesn't have any visible or, you know, I guess haptic feedback whenever something comes in. And then on the computer, uh, I'll just generally close apps out, you know, if it's not relevant, including Slack sometimes. Uh, That's maybe my biggest distraction because I kind of keep it on when I'm working or having conversations. But of course, then anything can come in. Uh, I find as well, like, you know, It's not necessarily tie myself to the mask, but even things like if what is closest to me in the bed when I wake up is the Kindle and not the phone, I'm more likely to read. But if the phone's on top of the Kindle, (laughs) you know, I'm more likely to look at the phone. But if I can reverse that order, you know, it's a bit better. So just little hacks like that. And I think it's good to kind of look at every aspect of your life and say, okay, where's something that I can kind of make it easy to do the thing that I, I want to do?
1: Mm, I like that what what other aspects of your life of your life have you made those simple changes that have led to better habits
0: Oh if I have sweets or or things like that in the house I don't have them visible and they're generally like in a drawer or kind of buried away a little bit. So I can get them if I'm entertaining or having a party or really, really want it. But it's not just something that's like staring at me all day saying, eat me, eat me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's, you know, kind of a common thread that your phone's not buzzing saying, look at me, look at me. The tasty food is not saying, eat me, eat me. Just kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, It's not 100% true, but is uh, very helpful.
1: Definitely. Definitely. And, and what else do you do to focus? So, so you're closing down apps that you're not using and the notifications are switched off. Um, like, what, what, is there anything else that you found to be effective to, to stay focused?
0: Uh, going offline. It's really great. You know, I do this unintentionally sometimes on airplanes. Uh, but then occasionally at home, I'll actually just turn off the network uh, the Wi-Fi or the Ethernet and um, like literally unplugging it and then just forcing myself to look at all the things that are there in front of me. So I start closing down more tabs than I open <laughs> <laughs> or looking at those files that have been on my desktop for several months and saying, okay, what's going to be the, the way to do that? Um, kind of carving out that time, even if it's unintentional, just taking really savoring uh, whatever is available to you at the moment I find very helpful.
1: Mm, mm. And do you still have a, a, a playlist to help kind of get into flow that you listen to?
0: Mm. So I have a few kind of. I guess at this point they're like deep house focus playlists that are just standard ones on tidal and uh, and Spotify. That I'll go to because there's no words or very few words. They have kind of a nice beat behind it, but if I really need to get in the zone, uh, my general thing is just picking a single song and having that on repeat, and that can be really anything, so it can be hip-hop, it can be jazz, it can be really whatever, but just having that on, on repeat for a while, and it just has to be a song I like, and then something often that I really like, and so it it's pleasurable to have it there, but your mind kind of backgrounds it after the first or second listen. So it, I've just found that to be a really effective technique.
1: And do you have any songs that you're going to a lot at the moment?
0: Um, you know, a recent one is this new Drake song, Nice For What. Ah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just so fun and has some kind of natural breaks in it where like the kind of style goes between things. Um, and it, it just has that kind of great forward flowing beat and the way they do the Lauren Hill sample and just lovely.
1: I, I want to move on to, to looking at how you decide or how, how you kind of decide on your priorities. Could I, I would, I would imagine like in what you do and with your profile, you're probably getting approached with different opportunities left, right and center. And, I'm curious as to how you decide what do you say yes to and what do you say no to? You know, it gets
0: easier, actually, because the things that
1: I I am quite keen to say yes
0: on um, are growing over time. You know, the company is growing. We're now over 750 people. Um, you know, your group of family and friends, people who you love very much, you really want to be there for them and you appreciate that time more as you get older. Uh, so that kind of naturally crowds out a lot of other things. And in terms of the other yeses, probably my biggest weakness is, is saying yes to some place that I want to go.
1: <laughs>
0: so it's an event or, or I know some people who I want to see will be there or it's a place that I want to go. Cause I haven't been before. And then as it approaches, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's probably my biggest weakness. Um, we ran into each other at an event, didn't we?
1: Oh, we did at TED. That's right, in Vancouver. Ah,
0: oh, that's a good example of one that ahead of time. <laughs> and they very smartly sell you the tickets like a year ahead of time.
1: I know, so I know.
0: <laughs> this year, I actually didn't want to go, but I had um, purchased a ticket almost a full year before, and it's also quite pricey.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so
0: I felt very obligated to go. So this year, I've been trying to avoid that by actually not purchasing a ticket and probably will not attend next year. Um, not because it wasn't wonderful and I got to meet awesome people like yourself but just because it was a lot of time out of it so you know what I try to avoid is whatever I'm doing just try to be fully there and really um, uh, what's a good word for it I try to get the most out of whatever you're doing I do it with vim and vigor so if I'm at the conference or if I'm going to go to a conference like I don't check my email during that like I really try to be present and like get the most out of that conference and if doing so I find myself very bored or disengaged maybe that's a good reason to not go versus agreeing to things and then you know being on calls or emails or otherwise distracted the whole time because that I'd rather do be honest at home
1: Hmm. Would you ever just cut your losses at one of these events that you've said yes to because you thought it would be a good idea in the lead up and then you get there and you're finding that there's no value? Would you ever just cut your losses and, and go early? Or once you're there, you're committed?
0: Hmm. No, that I'm terrible at. So, I'll <laughs> I'll finish bad movies. I'll finish bad books. <laughs> like, I try to make the best of it, but yeah, I'm not good at leaving.
1: Uh, that's, that's interesting.
0: So that's why I have to be careful what I start. Like, I would say TV series are a good example of this. Like, like I know that starting a TV series is, like, a big commitment because you're signing up for tens of hours of uh, of things that, like, are kind of tugging at the back of your brain, being like, what happened to so-and-so? So um, I'm very, very, very discerning on starting those. <laughs> I'll watch – that's why I prefer even shorter things on Netflix, like you know their the documentaries which tend to be like an hour and a half or or um or comedy specials which are usually an hour
1: <laughs> that's interesting actually, amazing
0: one just came out of australia um you might have heard of like hannah gadsby called the net
1: oh it's brilliant i saw that live actually at uh, the comedy festival a couple of years ago yeah wow fantastic. wow
0: <laughs> i can't imagine Mm.
1: It's, it's interesting what you say about how you like once you start, it's, it's hard to stop. How, how do you apply that to work? Because I imagine so much of what you do for automatic and, and WordPress is starting something and, you know, kind of being in that experimentation mode, but then inevitably some experiments fail. So, so, so how, how do I guess do you Because I imagine you must be much better at it with work in terms of starting something and then abandoning it versus TV series.
0: Hmm. I would say it's actually a weakness at Automatic as well. (laughs) And probably many of my colleagues would agree with you. (laughs) Uh, It's something that I have an eye on now is that um, the good news is for projects, especially software, it's typically measured in, in weeks or months, not just like an hour or two. Um. Or there's something repetitive. So, one thing that I've actually been working on a lot this year is allowing myself and other people to say, you know, opt out of a meeting, for example, not just go into a meeting because it's it's what we do every week or every other week or every month, but saying, hey, is you know, do you feel like you got a lot out of this? And if so, please come back. Um, if not, it's okay to opt out, and just making meetings optional is interesting and you know if you do a good job about having an agenda beforehand uh, people can read it and choose to opt in or of course you can reach out to someone and say hey I think it's important for you to be part of this conversation but by making it a bit more optional it's a good balance between people not feeling excluded uh, but also not you know wasting time for yourself or others and then for projects just trying to be more explicit at the start with how long we expect it to take Um, you know I can think of an example you know, we're in the middle of one right now and one that just kind of wrapped up or something that started and we thought it was kind of a, a four or five month thing. And actually, the worst case ended up going closer to 18 months. And so at many points along that path, we should have had, I think this is called the sunk cost fallacy. Like we should have said, oh, if we had known it would have taken 18 months at the beginning, we wouldn't have done it. Um, so we should stop it now, even though that's painful and people want to finish it. Uh, or it always seems right around the corner but for other things we're we're being a lot more explicit now like okay we started this because we thought it was a three-month project um if it were a six-month project would we still do it and then saying yes or no before you start <laughs> and then uh, and then if it if it stretches to six months you can say okay that's what's still within the parameters or what we said was worth it but when it starts to go beyond that that's when you say oh not worth it. And then also that being it clear to everyone involved so that they know that the deadline really starts to become much more of a deadline once it goes beyond that place that you wouldn't do it from scratch.
1: Mm. Yeah, I like that approach. Um, and I was curious as to um, what you said about meetings as well and people being able to opt out of meetings. And it certainly puts the onus on the meeting organizer to make it a really good meeting. Have you had many people opt out of meetings after after sort of i guess giving that permission oh for
0: sure and i opt out of a ton so <laughs> i think that it's it's something that um it's it's not necessarily you want to have a culture where it's an okay thing to do and doesn't have like other hidden meanings <laughs> <laughs> so obviously if like it's some sort of like passive aggressive i don't like your project or something that would not be productive But if it's really just, hey, I'm happy to be part of this, Um, I'll read the notes, you know, you can stay engaged without needing to take that real-time sort of real-time interaction. You know, when you have a meeting, you need to think of the time uh, multiplied by the number of people there. So if you have eight people in a meeting, that's kind of a full workday worth of work. It's eight hours, even if it's just an hour-long meeting.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I want to come back to something that you mentioned before about how when you are at an event, you'll you'll be present, you'll switch off email. And I wanted to know what what is your approach to managing your inbox? And I and I get that you've obviously got Slack as well, and I imagine that's mostly for internal comms. But what's mm-hmm. your approach to to managing your inbox? Hmm. Um,
0: I don't know if I'm a great example here because my my workflow and systems are very uh, kind of bespoke and unique. Um, I am, you know, I have two assistants so for help with scheduling things or things like that, or sometimes just raising things that I might have missed. They're able to jump in. I have an email system which actually goes through, if you can believe it, a WordPress plugin. <laughs> so when you email me, it gets piped through. Um, through WordPress actually uh, that then does like a database lookup on the sender. It has records of all my sent mail so if I interact with this person recently and then based on that and other characteristics or, or kind of regular expressions I write, the email might get filtered into several different boxes. Um, obviously an inbox which is you know kind of the easy one but then there could be an unknown box, uh, low priority, high priority, uh, shopping, shopping, you know, all these receipts and things. So having a lot of that filtering done automatically, uh, means that I spend very little time, uh, kind of categorizing things or filtering things. Uh, but it's still pretty neatly organized. Um, I'm not an inbox zero person, although the thought of it is very appealing to me. <laughs> and right now I have, let's see, 120 things in the inbox. And so that's a combination of, Maybe some subscriptions or things I follow that I really want to read. And then people who I, I really want to reply to or that are are kind of important. And I, I check, to be honest, I'm not great at email in that I probably only work on it every couple of days. I might do like little bits of maintenance throughout the course of a day. Um, but like really digging in and sending replies is at best kind of once or twice a week.
1: Mm, wow, does that take discipline, or is that easy to, to sort of not be in it too much?
0: I um, find email incredibly easy to ignore, <laughs> uh, to the to often to the detriment of myself and others. <laughs>
1: Excellent. And and what are your favorite apps or tools or, or technology for, for for getting more done, being more productive? Because I'm I'm loving. The sound of how your email is organized. That sounds amazing. <laughs> well, I you
0: know, I think it's worthwhile, especially if the if you have the ability to code or invest in someone who does, to actually invest in like workflow and other things like that. So there's a number of areas where I feel like my life is significantly easier because there's just things that are being automated or coded. Um I guess my go-to is we mentioned Calm already, and that's kind of a great meta investment and the Kindle. Um, Audible and Overcast for consuming audio content, either books or podcasts. Um, my other go-tos: uh, I use both Wonderlist and Todoist. Wonderlist for collaborative lists, and Todoist for my personal. Uh, I use Simple Noteton, which is actually an automatic product for keeping notes throughout the days. And if I need to do something very collaborative, um, like let's say a person who I work with quite a bit, will often have a shared Google document that we'll have open if we're ever having a meeting. And then also, so it can function almost more like a whiteboard or shared notes, we'll use in as agenda for our next meeting. And um, and then we can just kind of put open items there. So if they're waiting on me for something or I'm waiting for them on something, we'll make sure to mark that down with a date so that it can be tracked. Uh, you know, Internally, we use a ton of WordPress. So that's really how we communicate is more WordPress than anything else. And... You know, just trying to have, like, the home screen on my phone doesn't have anything that's distracting. It's only, like, good habit <laughs> apps.
1: <laughs> like, so, what's some examples of those?
0: So, like, instead of Facebook, I'll have Kindle or, um, you know, Audio Apps, RunKeeper. My kind of bottom bar is uh, Lyft, Google Maps, Todoist, and Calendar. So all things that are are very... Uh, Very kind of productive. In fact, I removed the Google app from there, which I like using for searching for things. Because when you launch a Google app, it also shows you interesting news stories. So I just wanted to kind of change my muscle memory and uh, move it around. Uh, I find that, uh, you know, if I find myself using something too often or getting addicted to it, just moving it can sometimes break that pattern. So, you know, my thumb, I'll actually accidentally click on the thing I replace it with. (laughs) (laughs) Just because you you get in these patterns, and and by knowing how the patterns work, I think it makes it at least more possible to break them. I won't say it makes it easier, but it makes it at least that you, you can recognize yourself sometimes in it.
1: Mm, mm, I, I, I like that. I've definitely experimented with what goes in that bottom bar as well. Um, I, uh, I I heard that you, um, in terms of keyboard, you, you don't use a, a QWERTY keyboard, which is the traditional keyboard layout, but you use a, a Dvorak, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, keyboard. And I'm wondering, can you explain what that is and 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 why you made that move, and also just how how you made the switch. How 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 do you learn a new keyboard system?
0: Oh, um, it's much like learning to type. So all the however you learn to type, or I find many people actually haven't learned to type uh, properly. Um, you can, there's tons of stuff for free online. I think, you know, back in the day there were apps like Mavis Beacon teaches typing, <laughs> if you remember that one. Yeah. Um, but you can basically, including for Dvorak learning, you just Google and there's a bunch of free kind of like online stuff where you practice letters. So you do like on Dvorak, maybe you do an A A A A A, O O O E E you kind of train yourself to learn. And it's actually not hard to know multiple ones, just like many people um, you know, play multiple instruments that might be slightly different, like the clarinet and the saxophone. Like some of it is, of course, the embouchure and the other parts of it, but a big part of it's the fingering and where you go. And after, I would say, not even that many hours of dedicated work, you know, call it 15 to 25 of like deliberate practice, you can be easily at a, a useful typing speed, you know, call it. 40 or 50 words per minute, which is what I call, like, thinking speed. <laughs> you know, often we're not limited by our typing speed, but um, but really, like, our ability to know what to say or what to code. Um, and, and then, of course, with practice, I can type probably up to maybe in the 120s uh, words per minute, but I almost never do because, again, I don't think that quickly generally. Um, and the theory behind Dvorak is it's just uh, – a more modern keyboard layout. Uh, QWERTY was created in part to make it so that when you type uh, letters that are very frequently occur together, like T and H, for example, which is the most common letter pair in the English language, um, if those, remember the arms that used to come out? If those arms were right next to each other, they could get stuck on each other and jam your your typewriter. So QWERTY is optimized a lot more for having those common pairs uh, further away from each other or in arms that would not run into each other. Um, this is actually useful for thumb typing, so I don't think QWERTY is bad for mobile, and I actually use it for that. But then on desktop, you of course want to have your uh, your different fingers are different strengths. If you're in the home row, it's more efficient than if it's in a, a a place where you move your finger to, and uh, and you can do things like, for example, T and H in the uh, in the uh, Dvorak keyboard is uh, your right hand middle finger, and then the finger right next to your thumb. Is that a ring finger? No, I guess it's the um, index finger. So you could just, I mean, if you just do that right now, like push down your middle finger and then your your index finger, it's a very natural movement. And doing one of those right after each other is uh, almost like you might tap on a desk if you were just fidgeting. So having those most common vowels and consonants on the home row and then the most common pairs next to each other is very, very useful. And that's the design of uh, Dvorak. I switched when I was much, much younger because when I was a teenager, I thought, well, I'm probably going to type the rest of my life. So even if I can become 10% more efficient, uh, that'll be a worthwhile investment. And um, I have many colleagues who've switched in a more modern era. And my only advice there is to kind of go cold turkey. So really force yourself to to use the new layout as much as possible and then put in, if you can, a bit of time every day uh, to actually deliberately practice. And there's a diminishing margin return. So 30 minutes to an hour a day is probably really good. Four hours a day would be a waste of your time, <laughs> you know. But if you can put in a bit of practice and then kind of force yourself to use it the rest of the day, where you're just kind of, you know, painfully slow but picking it up, you'll you'll be there certainly in less than a month.
1: Mm, that's cool. That's encouraging. I'm I'm quite inspired to give that a go.
0: If you're going to give it a go, by the way, there's one that's slightly more efficient. So there's a keyboard layout called Colmac.
1: Ah, yes, I've heard of that. Yes.
0: Um, actually, has a lot of overlap with Dvorak, but Dvorak was invented uh, kind of prior to World War II, and uh, using some great technology at the time. But then, um, you know, they didn't have computers and such, and so Colmac. So Dvorak is, I'm going to make these numbers up, but let's say way more efficient than Qwerty, like much, much, much better. Uh, Colmac's maybe five percent more efficient than Dvorak. Mm-hmm. So even using their um, their sort of ancient methods of, of research and efficiency, they got pretty darn close to the ideal. So, but if you were starting today, I would say go straight to Colmac. And these layouts are, are built into every modern computer system.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask. And, and, and have you ever thought about making the change to, to Colmac? I have
0: uh, definitely seriously considered it. Um, because I'm so fast on Dvorak and there's not that big a difference, um, I question whether it's worth it. So I haven't done it yet. But if I had, uh, I do still think about it sometimes, and I might still do it. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> um, and and for creative work, I I think I heard that you use an analog notebook, so you move away from the keyboard completely. Is 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 that correct?
0: I find it really satisfying to cross things off on a paper, um, and also if I'm in a meeting, even if it's you know a video call, which is many of my uh, my one-on-one meetings. I think for both sides, typing can feel very distracting. Certainly if you're in person and someone's like typing things down, it just feels like they're not present. But writing doesn't have that same effect. Uh, so I, that's why I take a lot of notes is because uh, it helps me remember. Occasionally I type them up afterwards or I might translate them into a computer to do. Uh, but yeah, just for in the moment. It's great to have paper.
1: Mm, I like that. I like that. Like
0: a TED, for example, they even discourage having your phone out. So I would keep a notebook in my pocket the whole time. So if I need to write anything down or take a quick note, I could.
1: Mm, mm. And, and so that's interesting. So you'll, you'll type up some of the notes, but not others. Like after TED, for example, what, what did you do with the notes that you took from TED?
0: Mm, I'm trying to think. I probably do a quick glance over them. Sometimes I write them down just to remember them, not to actually look back at them. But the act of writing helps me kind of distill a little bit, Uh, and then other times I'll I'll really go back and and turn it into some to dos. So, like for example, if let's let's say you and I were having a one on one meeting and and you were a direct report of mine, so we worked very closely together, um, I would take written notes and then I would actually post the meeting. as one of my um, as you probably tell I like meetings to be well time well spent, so I usually like to. Uh, have a bit of time beforehand to prepare and then uh, budget a bit of time afterwards to process everything that came out of the meeting and do any follow-ups or at least track where those follow up should be. Um, sometimes I'll even use a voice memo for that. So there was a time a few weeks ago I was really kind of back to back in New York and going between things very quickly. Uh, so I was literally almost running between meetings. Not quite, but uh, <laughs> But they were very important meetings. So I really wanted to make sure I captured all my thoughts from them. So just as I was walking down the street, I did probably like a five or eight minute voice memo that was much like things I would write down, but were just um, you know kind of thoughts and things from the meetings. And actually, you know once it's on your iPhone voice memo, um I was able to send that to my assistant, and she was able to type it up. so then that made it easier for me to turn it into written follow-ups and notes for my colleagues that I wanted to share the notes from the meetings with
1: Mm, i like that yes very cool yeah i use voice memos quite a bit myself um i want to, I want to finish with a few kind of quick questions to understand what what are you consuming right now because I can think it can be so so hard for the average person to to know like what are the the best and most inspiring and most interesting sources of information given it's it's just all a little bit overload so to start with what what are like a couple of podcasts that you're currently loving and consuming
0: oh. I'm going to do a plug on the first one. There's a podcast called Bundyville that uh, Long Reads, which is an automatic product, did it with the N- with NPR. And it's a really fun narrative. Um, awesome. The, yeah, I love uh, Farnham Street. And there's a podcast called The Knowledge Project that's from the same site. It's probably one of my top sites and podcasts in the world. A really thoughtful guy named Shane Paris. Uh, actually Canadian. But just one of the smartest people you've ever met and really um, really dives into, you know, Charlie Munger, and Warren Buffett and other people who've been successful really over decades versus, you know, many of the folks, if you pick up like a magazine, they're talking about who's successful that year. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a longevity to it. And so I, I get far more interested with kind of what's happened over decades. And so you find yourself drawn to folks like Ben Franklin, Charlie Munger, um, you know, that – or firms that have succeeded over a long time, even like the Koch brothers, that you're like, okay, there's something working here that goes beyond, you know, even one or two business cycles.
1: Mm, love it. Um,
0: I love On Being with Krista Tippett, probably one of my top ones. On margins with Craig Maud, uh, I listen a lot to Tim Ferris, of course, he's a, a good friend, and um, you know, a new one that I just started that I'm very much enjoying is there's a doctor named Peter Etia, and I think his podcast is called Drive, the Peter Atiyah Drive. And he is a doctor, obviously an MD, um, but also, you know, really studies wellness and longevity. And so I would call him very much on the maybe bleeding edges and a good word to use with, with medical terms, <laughs> but like the kind of the very uh, up to the minute on all of the latest papers and science and everything like that. And so he engages with folks um, like maybe a Rhonda Patrick, who are are literally driving the science for um, what helps you be your your healthiest, and uh, so that I just find really really fascinating.
1: Mm. Oh, I'm going to check that one out. That sounds really interesting. Um, e newsletters that you that you actually look forward to receiving. You mentioned you might have a few waiting for you in your inbox to be read. What what are your favorites?
0: Oh, it's actually a big overlap with the things I just said. <laughs> so Peter Atia <laughs> has one. Um, Farnham Street has a newsletter. Yes, I, I get that
1: one. It's great.
0: <laughs> and there's one other that's kind of new for me that I'm enjoying. Uh, Craig Mott has one. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's almost all the same. If I'm if I like them enough to listen to their podcast, I probably am willing to get an email from them. Um, the one of the others that's kind of relatively new and someone who I'm a huge fan of is Kevin Kelly. Uh, he is has a website kk.org super again, someone who's done interesting things over decades, uh, including like being one of the co founders of Wired magazine and, you know, walking hundreds of miles through Asia in like the sixties and seventies and like just like way before anyone else was on things. Studying virtual reality in the seventies, um and eighties. So he has one called a recommendo, which is he and two other folks who are also very interesting, go through and recommend just a few things each week. That might be a book, it might be a thing, it might be a movie or a Netflix thing. So I found that to be really high signal to noise.
1: Mm, I I recently subscribed to that one, and I must say I'm I'm loving that. Um, And finally... I'll say one more. Yeah, sure. Absolutely.
0: It's called the Long Now Foundation, which is actually one of the places where I've gone to know Kevin Kelly through. And they do a series of talks. It's a foundation literally dedicated to long-term thinking. And so... Yeah, you, know, you can imagine their talks being really great, and uh, the things they publish on their website being also excellent.
1: Oh, that's cool! That's cool. And um, and finally, you—it sounds like you're you're going to hit about forty-five books this year. What what's a what's a good one that you've read recently?
0: Hmm. You know, I'll try to recommend some ones that aren't like the ones that everyone knows. Like, I just finished *Sapiens*, but like everyone knows *Sapiens*, mm-hmm. right? Um. A really great sort of collection of nonfiction essays, which is called How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by a relatively new uh, Korean American author named Alexander Chi, uh, is really fantastic. Um, in terms of a business book, I read one called Black Box Thinking by Matthew Sied. I uh, really enjoyed that. Kind of uh, combined a lot of, you know, with a lot of business books, they are duplicative or could be a good article. He did a great job of bringing together lots of great research and other books and putting it into one nice package. Um, I like reading older stuff. So I recently reread read The Conquest of Happiness by Bertrand Russell and Fictionones, Fictionones? I don't know how to pronounce it, it's Spanish, mm-hmm. originally in Spanish by Jorge Luis Borges, um, that were both really, really good. And then if anyone loves uh, sci-fi, uh Probably the most amazing collection of short stories and sci-fi I've read is called The Paper Menagerie by this uh, artist. He is an artist, but author named Ken Liu, L-I-U, who's probably more famous for being the translator of the uh, three-body problem from uh, Mandarin to English. So he has his own, you know, fiction that he's written that um, is kind of a mix of sci-fi, speculative fiction, and kind of just history, actually, that uh, was – one of the most thought-provoking things I've read in many, many years.
1: Fantastic. Loving all those recommendations. Oh, look, it's been so brilliant talking to you, Matt. If if people want to find more about you or about WordPress or Automatic, where, where is the best place to do that?
0: Sure. If you would like to be distracted by me
1: <laughs>
0: on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram, I'm at photomat, P-H-O-T-O-M-A-T-T. Um. And Twitter is probably the one I use a bit more there. I post very rarely to Instagram and use Instagram very rarely. Um, and, of course, my WordPress blogs are great places to find me. So I have two, mat.blog and, um, and then ma.tt, uh, the, which is a special extension. So just type in ma.tt, no.com, no anything like that, is my main site where I share things I'm reading, articles, quotes, and the occasional uh, longer thought.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for being on the show. I've just loved our chat.
0: Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
1: Hey there, that's it for today's episode. If you're looking for more tips to improve the way you work, I write a short monthly newsletter that contains three cool things that I've discovered that helped me work better, which range from interesting research findings through to gadgets that I'm loving. You can sign up for that at howiwork.co. That's howiwork.co. And you're probably sick of podcasts telling you to give them a review in iTunes if you like the episode. So I promise I won't ask you to do that. But you know, if the mood strikes you, then go for it. And if you like this episode and you want more, just hit the subscribe button. See you next time.